0: You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Today is February 13th, and I am preparing to leave for Australia. It is finally happening. I have a few updates before I leave. Number one, Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall will continue while I am in Australia. Furthermore, I'm going to take my rig, that is my little laptop and uh, audio solution, (laughs) And uh, we are going to continue doing the Bride Ministries Church every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time while I am in Australia as well. So as I am traveling, the beauty of this ministry is that I am able to do it anywhere in the world. Praise God. So as far as my time in Australia, first, I am going to be at the Elijah Fire 2020 Convergence. February 19th through the 21st. Now, if you are on our email list, you will have received an email that allows you to sign up for the live stream for that conference if you are not able to make it in person and would like to be part of it. Now, I'm not the only speaker at this conference. There's a number of other powerful men and women of God that are all going to be coming together, sharing and participating in in that. And so, Um, Just understand that you're getting a whole lot more than me if you decide to register for the live stream. And if you did not get an email but would like to do that, you can go to our website, BrideMovement.com, on the church page. And if you scroll down the church page, you will see conferences. And you will find that the Elijah Fire 2020 Convergence live stream is linked under the conferences under our church page, right beneath the Bride Tribe 2020 Advance button so um, that is available to you now the other events are not but if you are in the Australia area I will be at the way community in Bendigo the 24th and the 25th and you can reach out to them if you have any questions and uh, then on the 26th of February I will be at Gateway Church in Adelaide. And then from the 28th to the 29th, I will be at Field of Dreams in Adelaide. And if you would like any further information on those respective uh, hostings, you can just reach out to those churches directly. And that is the itinerary. So, um having said that, I do want to let you all know that the Bride Tribe 2020 Advance in the spring is going to be extraordinary, amazing, and did I tell you? It's going to be at a really nice resort with all kinds of amenities. And by the way, the cost is all-inclusive, meaning once you buy your ticket on our website, that is your conference attendance, your food, and your room all covered. So I really want to encourage you to take advantage of this. I love meeting you guys, hanging out. You guys are just so precious and so special. And every time we've done one of these advances, it's just been phenomenal. Uh, the presence of the Lord is just off the charts and the fellowship, the community, you just can't find it. And so I, I am very excited to tell you about it and to encourage you to come. And this is where we get our community. The the the, the, the one aspect of Bride Ministries that's difficult is, you know, there are just certain things you can't get on an internet platform, like face-to-face contact and a hug. Um, But when we have our advances in our conferences, you can. <laughs> and so we want to just invite you guys. Now, I also want to let you know, you know, we have a number of solutions available on our website. You can find prayer resources. We have affiliate coaches. If you need some further help, uh, we do offer on our prayer page the opportunity to submit prayer requests if you have those. Um, We have a church that meets every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We have a lot going on at Bride Ministries. I have books that you can get your hands on, Prayers that Shake Heaven and Earth, and Advanced Prayers that Shake Heaven and Earth particularly are a resource pool for all kinds of needs. And if you don't have them or if you have friends and family that need them, please pick them up. I am not going to go on much longer. You're going to be able to enjoy a lot of things while we're gone. So forward to that. and Enjoy today's program. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Welcome to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Today, I am going to be introducing you to a new face and voice on this podcast. Her name is Lisa Gray. She is a licensed minister, LLPC, and author. She has her master's degree in education and counseling from Central Michigan University. Uh, She is a licensed mental health counselor and licensed minister, and she travels throughout the country speaking largely at women's conferences, jails, and sexual abuse awareness weeks, bringing awareness to sexual abuse and she's written a book called they don't tell child abuse a mother's perspective and something else interesting about her you probably don't know is she and her friend spent the weekend with me and my wife not too long ago which is how i met her a total random chance i think you know (laughs) It was actually very interesting. She's like, I have a ticket to Dallas, and I'm coming. And my wife's like, spend the weekend at our house. So she did, and I'm like, hello.
1: So, Lisa, welcome to Discovering Truth. Oh, what a joy to be here, Dan. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Thank you.
0: Well, it's, it, it's really good to have you. You're a wonderful person. Um, it's, it's been such a joy to get to know you. And, um, you know, before we really get into the subject matter, today, I, I want to give you an opportunity to explain to our folks one thing. You explained to me your pre-exposure to, to me, because, folks, apparently Lisa knew me before I knew her. And um, she watches me in a very, very peculiar way. Lisa what do you do
1: then when i listen to you mm. there's so many times that i've simply had to do my remote and i would just stop <laughs> what did you just say dan Duvall? what was that <laughs> what did you hear what he just did what kind of act? i never heard this before i never heard it he did what he's been weird so we've been we've been having a relationship for a long time although you didn't know it
0: yeah i had no idea <laughs> so folks uh, Lisa, like many of you, and you know who you are out there, talks to me when I'm talking on the podcast. It's, it's amazing. So I met her, and uh, we just had a great time. And now, the tables have turned <laughs> because she used to have the pause button, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so I am really, really looking forward to letting you share some things, Lisa. Now. Um, Your book, They Don't Tell, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is about your journey, your story, and you do have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And so I want to begin by getting started on that point. What is your story?
1: Well, I know, Dan, I know it's very difficult, but I am one of those mothers whose child has been sexually molested. My daughter was sexually molested by my ex-husband, and it was her stepfather. And it was going on in our home, and I never had a clue, did not realize what was taking place. But as I began my relationship with the Lord, and we started going, I started going in deeper with the Lord, it became very apparent to me that my ex-husband was a churchgoer, but he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. So once I divorced him, I still remember, Dan, it was in September, and that November, my daughter was in the 10th grade. It was the Sunday after, i very specifically, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We were just getting accustomed to a new normal. He was no longer in the house. I was washing the dishes about 8 o'clock at night, and my daughter came up to me. She said, Mom, if I had something to tell you, would you be a mom or would you be a friend? And I was like, uh-oh, something's on Nikki's mind. I went and told her younger brother, we're going to go upstairs and we're not to be disturbed midnight for four hours it took for me to get out what was going on but at the end of those four hours i knew that this man had been molesting my daughter Mm ever since i married him when she was in the third grade Mm -hmm. now she was in the 10th grade and it just changed my whole world from then on um nothing's been the same wow
0: okay so dissecting this story okay okay Uh, first of all you we're talking about this folks because this scenario happens all together too often it's not always a in this case a stepfather sometimes it's an uncle aunt cousin or just a friend of the family Um, and then an ongoing abuse cycle begins you're telling us that from the third grade to the 10th grade your daughter Mm-hmm. made no mention of this abuse.
1: None whatsoever.
0: I want to start there.
1: Okay.
0: A lot of, and this would even be my question, you know, uh, when I was growing up, my mom always told me like, hey, if anyone touches you inappropriately, pulls down your pants, you tell me immediately. And I never really understood why she was so adamant about that. Now, my mom actually was on my own podcast sharing some of her story a few years ago. And folks, you can always go back and listen to that. She was molested. She was sexually abused Mm -hmm. by her stepfather's brother. And um, she talks about that as part of her testimony. And um, so she was, you know, concerned like any parent would be. And, And so I always knew in my mind that, well, if that happened, I would say something. But many children don't. And your book is actually titled they don't tell so, so what's the psychology behind this can you help us understand
1: sure the psychology behind it is going to be different with each person and what their the dynamics of their family let so let me speak on what the dynamics were with my daughter she is a very loving person and she was never um threatened but the mere presence of him made made, made it, where she just was not comfortable talking about it. And he had a very high standing. He was the minister of music at our church. He was a football coach um, in the community. And he was just an all around quote unquote, good guy in the community. So she did not realize, and we talked about it later, obviously, but she didn't realize that anything was wrong. Mm -hmm. The number of uh, clients that I've had that have said the same thing, they thought it was normal until they you know, became older and it was obvious that what was happening to me at home was not happening with everyone else. So like I said, it just depends on what the, dy- dy- the dynamics of the family, because there are some people then actually that they're still being abused by their parent. Even though they're in another home, even though they may be married, there are some people that have gone back and they continue to have a sexual relationship with the parent that began as incest when they were children, and it became normalized.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, that, you're not lying. Mm -hmm. In your daughter's case, Mm -hmm. was this abuse paired with physical or emotional abuse?
1: Emotional, but not physical. Not Mm -hmm. the physical, but there was definitely emotional abuse. Um. There's narcissism there. There was a little bit of threatening. There was a little bit of everything. The threatening was not my daughter, but for myself. So when, he, when she would see a threat with me um, for a child, the first thing they're gonna think of, well, I don't want that to happen to me, or, you know, we just really don't know what all goes on in a child's mind. The one thing we do know is what the things your, your mother did that I did not do and that's one of the things the Lord has charged me with, is talking about my mistakes. I didn't have those kind of conversations with my daughter. It never, I'm going to say this again, it never crossed my mind. In. Mm-hmm. The incest had never, it never crossed my mind. I was one of those people who was just blind and thought, that's what happens in those families. So that's what happens over there. But it, not, not in my house, not in my neighborhood, not in my family. And what I have come to find out since discussing this and doing the book, I've had too many family members share their story with me that they were molested as well then, but no one's talking about it and it was not shared. So there was something going on there. There's some generational things going on in my family Mm -hmm. that I did not even, I was not aware of. Wow. Yeah.
0: Now, um, were you mad? at your daughter
1: no i was never mad but i could have to be very frank with you i did not understand why she didn't tell Mm -hmm. and the reason i'm saying that was we had a good relationship she knew i loved her i i could it just didn't even make any sense to me as a mother why she didn't tell
2: Mm
1: -hmm. was i mad i was mad at my ex-husband i was furious i mean it was just and, and there was a betrayal there, even though I had, had divorced this man, there was still a betrayal that that took place. You would, why would you violate my daughter? It just, it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Now let me, let me change hats for a second and speak to you as a counselor. Yeah. I talked to many people who tell me I told and my mother didn't do anything Yes. I'm to say it's running about 50-50, Dan. There's about 50% of the people I talk to, they're like, you did something? Yeah, I did something. We went through the criminal justice process, mm-hmm. and he is in prison right now. His sentence was 15 to 40 years. But the majority, I have to say this, the majority of the people that we talk to, they do not pursue anything in the criminal justice system. They do not talk about it. Um, They want to keep it closed within their home. What goes on in this house stays in this house. Or they don't want to put shame on the family. All these reasons why it's not exposed. And the one thing we know for certain, the enemy continues to work when things are in the dark and we don't expose it and shine light on it. So I knew that even though it would have been difficult for my daughter, and it was, make no mistake about it, it was, if we did not speak up, and if we did not let it be known that this is what took place, then he would go to another person another victim and another victim and we had to we had to draw the line and say no more
0: that's so good that you say that um, scary for some you know I've had this conversation with people before we talk about draining the swamp you know talk about uh, cleaning up politician offices of pedophiles and uh, co- the cabal and all that. Um, A lot of people are going to go to jail for pedophilia at some point, if that happens. And we're praying that it does. Um, Let me ask you this question. Do you have reason to believe that your daughter was his first victim?
1: There's no question about it whatsoever that she was not. Mm. (laughs) There's no question that a 40 year old man did not look at an eight year old girl and for the first time touch her. There was no question in my mind whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, and let me just say one more thing, Dan. Yes. As my daughter went through the process, and like I said, we did go to the police, and, and we did pursue justice in the criminal justice system. My daughter had a breakdown one day at school, I'm going to say. And she ended up speaking to another one of his family members. And guess what?
2: Mm.
1: He had been molesting this other girl as well. <sighs> surprise surprise no it was not it wasn't a surprise not only that but let me tell you this as well during the the trial process there was a grown woman there that said to my daughter you're braver than i was because i didn't tell Mm -hmm. and i still remember when nikki came to me and she said mom if she had said something it wouldn't have happened to me and i told her well, Nikki, you're right, but because you've spoken up, it's not gonna happen to somebody else. So at some point, then, we have to we have to stand up and say no more in my family, not in my nation, not in my neighborhood. Somebody has to speak up and somebody has to take the brunt of it. But if we don't, it's gonna continue over and over and over again. So that's one of the charges the Lord has given me to start talking about it to talk about it Um, from a mother's perspective. I don't have my daughter's story. That's hers to tell. But the Lord made it very clear to me that I had to write about it, and I had to share what that journey was like. And it was very painful. I was so ashamed. Mm. Then I felt so guilty. How could this happen in my house and I not know about it? What kind of mother am I? Where was the Lord? All those questions went through my head all those emotions. I just remember being at a point where I could barely breathe. I I had so much shame. I had so much guilt because I'm the mother. Therefore, I was supposed to know what was going on. And it was my responsibility to cover my daughter. All the things that you can think of, as anyone would think, I thought that. I went through that process. I went through that process with the Lord of questioning Lord, you know I love you. How could this happen to my over and over again? But I made a decision that if this had happened to my daughter, that the Lord was gonna get some glory out of it. And the one thing I said to him, if she can go through this, Lord, you're gonna get some glory out of this situation. And that's what we've been doing. Um, When the Lord told me I needed to write the book, the first thing I did was talk to Nikki. And I said, Nikki, the Lord wants me to write about it. And she said, Mom, go ahead. So she gave me the go-ahead, and that's what we do now. We talk about child abuse in the family. We talk about the family secrets. i talked to so many people that everybody knew, okay, stay away from Uncle Johnny, or stay away from Uncle Dan, or stay away from – but it's all within the family unit, and they don't want anybody else to know what's going on. And we have to – we absolutely have to speak about these things. We have to shed light in every dark situation, and the darkness will become light. Right. And I'm going to say this one other thing, Dan. In the church, we're confused because the church will say, oh, you have to forgive.
0: Well, I was just going to bring that up. That is a major hurdle here, Why, because we're told forgive and forget or honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long on earth. So if my father's a perpetrator, I'll live a longer life that's happier if I just don't tell anyone about what he's doing to me.
1: No, absolutely not. Because the God I serve is a God of justice. Mm. And you know what? We understand without a doubt that we have to forgive. And mm. did we do that? Yes but we believe in accountability. Come on. The God that we serve believes in accountability. So do we forgive? Yes, because that's, a, that's something going on the inside of us. Yes. But we must hold people accountable for their actions, regardless of their position in life, regardless of whether they're a minister, they're a teacher, or they're a father. We must hold people accountable. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. If we don't hold them accountable, then they feel like they've gotten away with something and they continue. So God can't get to them either. The one thing that God has done in this process with me is he's, uh, he's humbled me in terms of not just the victim, but the perpetrator as well, because he loves both. And he wants to bring accountability so that he can bring wholeness. And until we start talking about what took place in our families, until we start talking about What our brother did, what our uncle did, what our auntie did, until we start talking about it, God can't even get to them. So it's really a matter of love. But I believe in forgiveness with accountability. We must hold people accountable for their actions.
0: Let me ask you a question. I just want to, I actually want to let you talk through this, okay? Is there ever a circumstance that's been presented to you? Okay. In which you said, hmm, it would be better if you did not report or pursue justice on this sexual abuse and molestation. And I know that's kind of hard because that's you would a
1: very difficult because and, and it's individual. There's certainly I, I think that there have been some situations where I would say yes. Yeah, I think there's been some situations where I would say yes. The majority of those would be after um, there's been healing and after there's been some accountability even on the part of the perpetrator. And there's been years that have gone by and they've shown it by their actions. Hmm. I've seen that, I have seen that before. Not often, but I, I definitely have seen it
0: but never in a situation when the abuse is actually occurring and ongoing.
1: If it's occurring and ongoing, we're talking about active abuse. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we know even in the um, media circles where that's happened and people want to pay off people in order for it, but it doesn't stop. There hasn't been a repentance. If there's been no repentance, nothing's go, nothing will change. Just because there's been an exchange of dollar bills does not mean that there's been any repentance, that there's been any turning, that there's been any enlightenment on what took place. No, absolutely not.
0: Let me ask this question. Your daughter's now in 10th grade. She's okay. telling you, mom, this happened to me. Who's to blame? How do you navigate that question?
1: I took the blame on myself. I'm just being honest with you. At that time, I took all the blame on myself because in our um, society, I am woman. I am strong, I'm strong. I'm you know. I'm all of that. Mm-hmm. And there it was in <laughs> I was in um prayer a prayer meeting one time, and when the ladies looked at me and this was after we had been praying and she said, the Lord said, it's time to forgive yourself. Yeah. It's time to forgive yourself. I had never even considered that I could forgive myself. One of the, the processes that I went through myself was understanding that I'm not omniscient, that I'm not omnipresent, that I'm not omnipotent and I am not God. And because of that, I was able after some time to forgive myself, but the blame, getting back to your original question, has to rest with the person that did the action, has to rest with the actor. And I have to tell you, one of the first things I talked to my daughter was about, my daughter about was, I don't care what you did. This rests on that man. And I just remember even then as a tenth grader, she kind of looked at me with a look like, Mom, you really don't understand. And I was like, No, Nikki. I don't care how your body responded to anything. None of that matters. The bottom line is this was a grown man that was touching a third grader, a fourth grader, a fifth grader. At some point your body will respond because that's the way God designed us. That does not mean that you were a a complicit in this at all. And because we were quote unquote a church family, the first thing we had to do was talk about sex Many times people will want to have a conversation about sexual abuse and skirt away the part about sex. But no, let's talk about how your body responded, what your body has become accustomed to. Because what happens when you're alone, the enemy will just will beat that person down. And we didn't want that to happen with our daughter, and, and it didn't. And there was a lot of, my family was wonderful. I mean, they really rallied around Nikki and let her know that she, she wasn't defiled goods. That we st- she was still the same Nikki we had always known. Nothing had changed. And uh, I have to say that she had a lot of support. She really did. So I just think it's really important because many times the, those persons that have been victimized will blame themselves. I shouldn't have been here or I shouldn't have done this. I've talked to some rape victims that blame themselves for being raped. Well, I should have known better what do you mean you should have known better? You didn't ask to be raped, but the enemy will play on our minds, and we have to catch that. We have to take every thought captive, and then we have to renew our mind, and it has to be a continual process. It's not a one time, a two time, a three time process. It's continual. It is continual.
0: That's so good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and on that subject, um, I mean, I think there's a misconception to think that you're going to begin to be molested. And this is for men. And, women. and sometimes it's harder for men because oh, if a yeah. man begins to be molested by a mom or an aunt in second and third grade, mm-hmm. and uh, that abuse is ongoing. To, to say that there's no desire sexually in that growing boy for that person is complete fraudulence. It's like, oh, he was just abused and he must have hated every moment of it of course he didn't hate every moment of it some of this is gonna feel very good and so there's so much shame around that that there's almost like a, how could i ever how could i rat this person out when maybe by the time this has been going on for years i see myself as a partial beneficiary of what's taking place so the silence is then you know and we run into this right with dissociation all the time Mm -hmm. i call them mommy and daddy loyal parts. And they're very loyal to the parent and the sexual encounter and the abuse and so forth. And they feel that it's their job to prevent any part of that person from knowing the truth of the abuse that's going on with them uh, so that they can protect that loyalty. And all of this is part of the conversation around this stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And I, I think that um, there needs to be a awareness. It needs to be talked about and a sensitivity.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why,
0: Lisa, do parents need therapy as well as their children?
2: Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord.
1: <laughs> I still remember, Dan, when, I, when this first came out, I remember one of my best friends said to me, Lisa, Nikki's going to be okay but we don't know about you. Mm. I was in such a dark place because, again, I was uh, bearing the weight of the world on my shoulder. I felt like a failure as a person. I felt like a failure as a human being. And in my book, I even talk about when you're, when you're, when you're on an airplane, they always tell you that you have to put that mask on first so that you're in a position to help your child. It is so important and it gets overlooked so often where there's no therapy for the provider of the child. But if I'm not in a whole place, I'm not in a place to help my daughter or to help my son. And I see this so often because automatically, we want to zone in on the victim and we need to, I understand that. But Dan, until we start looking at the whole picture, the whole dynamic and getting resources Help, mental health resources, uh, prayer ministry for the parent of a victim. Then the wholeness won't come. There'll be some. There'll be some healing, but until we're whole, that's where God wants us at. That's that's where we're to be. And many times I talk to parents who, years later, they're still holding that same guilt. They're still holding that that condemnation. It's not a conviction. It's a condemnation. The enemy condemns us as parents. Well, what kind of parent were you? What do you mean that was going on in your home and you didn't know about it? Where were you? Then let me tell you this one experience. I was at a, a conference in California, and it had uh, childcare providers and doctors, abuse providers from all over the world. And there was a man there. He was from Jordan. I still remember. It was a doctor from Jordan. And when he came up to, I had a table there with my book and I was talking about it and he came up there and he said, I blame you, I blame you, I blame you. And I did what you just did. And, I, and it was like the Lord said, just listen to him. So I just listened to him. And after that, he purchased my book. About two hours later, he came back with my book highlighted, all this writing in it, and he apologized to me. He was like, I didn't understand, I didn't understand, I didn't understand. So I'm saying that because initially, I think really the community looks and says, well, where were you? Well, what kind of mother are you? Well, you, sh- you should have known. You hear that, that condemnation, you should have known. So the community does that then over and over again because number one, we're ignorant or number two, we're hiding what took place in our own families. I've found that as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of those people who really go at you the most, they're hiding behind their own shame.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And what's happening in their own family. So if I really go after you really hard, nobody's looking at what's going on in my home.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. It happens a lot. A lot. I've experienced that.
0: I I absolutely believe that. Yeah. You know, um, I get a lot of uh, folks, they hear me talk, and they get upset, angry. Um, they, they think I'm outlandish. <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and some, sometimes this can be very uh, aggressive that it begins to exude from the person. And, and I've watched this happen. And I look at these folks that sometimes, you know, I'm just looking at it and it's like the reason why you're so mad about what I'm saying is because I'm triggering you. Everything that I'm saying is resonating something on the inside of you that you are not supposed to know, or you are supposed to keep dissociated. And because I'm blowing the lid off the whole thing and everything's going haywire on the inside of you. Now you're mad at me. And, uh, you know, your story is mandatorily triggering. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's mandatorily. If that stuff is going on in the home, it is. It it's is. going to trigger a response.
1: It absolutely will.
0: Now, I, I want to talk about this, okay? So, boy, right, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, right? That bogus nonsense. But you did live in a home with this man and your daughter for years. Mm-hmm. So, The question is, how did he get away with it? How did he actually hide it from you? And this is important because I I, I think that other people, you know, need to hear this if Mm -hmm. they're maybe having suspicions, like something's going on in my home that's under my nose. Like how do these things get hidden?
1: They get hidden, number one, because the person, the perpetrator is a deceiver. Mm -hmm. So we're really talking about basic deception. Okay. During the time that this was happening, we had also become foster parents and we kept a family of four. My first thought was, Nikki, during the time that we had the foster, she was like, yeah, and I kept thinking, what in the world? How could it, I really was trying to figure it out. The bottom line is deceivers are deceptive. And not only that, but they also, they have a front part. You know about the parts. They have a front part that the community sees. They have a front part that they put on at the time. They have a front part, but there's a, a man that I listened to. I can't think of his name. Russell, I think his last name is Freak, but he's a military um, consultant. And he was talking about the, the sexual abuse going on in the military. Well, he had on a three-piece suit. I was at a conference he had in a three-piece suit and he looked very dignified but once he took his three-piece suit off it said molester abuser rapist and had all these things but mm. he hid that part mm. so you got to see what he wanted you to see so the bottom line is how does it happen number one there must be some brokenness in the person that's with them. And I know with beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was in a broken place myself. Okay. Okay. so I want to say that. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, working with someone who's a deceiver, it was the perfect setup. But I have to say, most people know that I'm a kind soul, but there's something about that mama bear that came out Mm -hmm. that was not expected in with him or, or with his family, because I, I went into a warfare with the entire family, but it didn't matter. I didn't look at what the community was going to say. I could care less what the church would say. I didn't care about anybody else, but I knew that there was only one way my daughter was going to be whole again, and that was for the Lord Jesus Christ to heal her. We did some of the healing work. We, we worked with the counselor, but we, we went into prayer. And we, we knew that there's only one way that she could become whole again, and that was what the Lord would do. So um, how does that happen? It's deception. People are, people are very deceptive, and they show you what they want you to see. We all wear different faces at different times. You might be a different person with your wife than you are with your mom than when you are with your brother than you are with your coworker. So we all do it to some degree. So, However.
0: Yes. hmm
1: However, we don't do it in order to defile a child. We're not doing that in order to defile or to deceive someone. It's just that different situations call for a different person. If I'm sitting here talking with a banker, I'm gonna talk with the banker different than I talk with a minister. So we all do that to some point, but when we start talking about molestation in the home and the incest that's happening and how a brother comes and molests a sister in the night And then they have a uh, father that's molesting or somebody in the Amish country that this is happening to, or somebody that is in the Jewish Hasidic community. We find it happening across all all races, all cultures, because the devil is the same. He wants to defile as much as he possibly can.
0: So I guess I would follow that up with this question um, with, you know, Foster kids, four kids in the house, you, um, your daughter, him. Um, Was he targeting her primarily when you were not home? Did he have certain things arranged so that he could get her to himself? Um,
1: Yes, I'm sorry, absolutely. Um, I worked a very demanding job and sometimes 12 to 17 hours a day. Wow, wow. So yes. Wow. He would do different things. And there were times when I would go for work before he did, and he would try to get my daughter to stay home from school. Why? So he could molest her. So it was even difficult thinking about the fact that on Sundays, we went to church on Sundays, he would be playing, he would be on the organ. And then at night, he was trying to molest my daughter anytime I wasn't around or I was in a different room. Let me talk about that for a quick second, please. As I started trying to figure out when this happened, I would ask Nikki and she would tell me, mom, you were there or you were around or you were in another room. So the reason I wanna talk about that is this particular person, and I've seen this before, got a kick out of living on the edge. Got a kick out of uh, defiling or duping somebody. So if I'm in the kitchen cooking, he may have been in the living room Defiling my daughter. So, yes, some of it took place while I was in the home. Some of it took place while I was not in the home. Some of it took place because um, the grooming process of the wrestling. Wrestling, we know now, is a process in order to get the child accustomed to the touch and they want to see what the response is. Wow. And it could be done right there while the parent is there. I'll never forget this one. Let me let me tell you this. When my break daughter it down. Was in just, fifth just go grade,
0: ahead and break it down. We're listening. Break it down.
1: My daughter was in the fifth grade. They had a program at her school. Uh it's called the DARE program. They talked about sexual abuse with the children. There was a questionnaire that the child was to take home. I went to do this questionnaire with my daughter, and my husband was like I'll I'll do it with her. I'll do it with her. She did a questionnaire with her perpetrator saying, have you ever been touched? And I was in the room while that was going on. I still, re- I still remember that to the day. We were over at my mother's house and he was at the kitchen table with her because he volunteered. He volunteered, I'll do it with her. No doubt she wanted to do that with me to, to talk about it, but he, there was an interception there. Gosh. Again, when we talk about the, the deception, and because you had mentioned that earlier, do I think my daughter was the first one that he had ever abused? There's no question in my mind whatsoever that he was not. But they do get better with their tactics the more they do. They absolutely. They absolutely do. They refine their tactics of deception. So, um the, the, the grooming process is what I was talking about. So some of the grooming happens with just the touch, getting accustomed to the touch. Or the grooming process can happen with um, one of the things he would do with my daughter. He would take her to the store. Oh, I'm going up to the store. Nikki wants to go with me. Okay. That, that was another place that he would defile her. Or he would have my the, her younger brother with, and they'd go fishing. But when they went fishing, he would send my younger son off. So once again, he would be alone with my daughter. So what I would say to those who are wondering, you know, what can I do? You wanna look for those opportunities. Is there something that he does special? Is there a special relationship going on? That should be one of the keys. What kind of grooming grooming is taking place? And then of course, doing something that I did not do is having the conversations I went and I still don't know why I did it then but I went thinking well my daughter knows she knows she knows well no she was a child she did not know my daughter knows if anything ever happened she would talk to me well no we have to we have to verbalize those conversations we can't there's not this mental telepathy going on so I'm saying to those who are out there whether it's your child whether it's your grandchildren if there's some reason for you to be suspicious be suspicious
0: hmm now how would you flip this when it's like a mother-in-law or not a mother-in-law but but a stepmom and a son okay and 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 the son is getting targeted
1: nothing changes
0: nothing changes
1: nothing changes it's still the same it's still the same But there's a scripture in Titus that talks about, you know, about where your mindset is. I can't remember the scripture, Dan, Maybe you can help me, but to the pure, all things are pure. That just, it just, that was never, it was never anywhere on the table. It was never even a thought. Mm -hmm. It was just never a thought. And unfortunately, we're living in a time where we have to think like that. We, we have to have those kind of, we have to have the conversations. And I have to say, just like your mother talked to you, my daughter talks to her daughter. Wow. She does a much better job than I ever did. And we have those conversations on a regular basis. Um, you know, people going to spend the night. I've, I've talked with some people who were molested when they spent the night over someone's house. Or that was a part of what they were supposed to do, bring your friends over. We have to talk about molestation. And this is the thing that bothers me in the church. Everybody's talking about sex but the church. But that's God's domain. (laughs) That's where God lives. God created it. But everybody, our children hear about sex in schools. They hear about it on television. They hear about it on the radio. They hear about it in the community. Mm -hmm. But you go to church and you would think that there is no such thing. We have to, we have to bring it in and we have to give our children and our, we have to just talk about it in a whole, um, manner. The way that we talk about it, we have to bring it in. We have to bring it in the conversation. We have to, even our pastors that we know and our leaders that are out there with porn and prostitution. And we have all these things. We have all these things going on, but you go into a church, When's the
0: last time you heard any, any, a sermon about sex? About well, wholesome. The, the truth is, and we <laughs> you're bringing it up, we were talking about this at our home. We were having a little round table. Like, you know, where where is kingdom sex?
1: And Thank you. <laughs>
0: thank you. The, but the thing is, the thing is, when you hear a message on sex in church, it is condemnatory. All right, time to figure out who's sinning, by watching porn. So let's preach against that, right? That's what we hear. But we we don't, I mean, preachers don't preach about how to enhance the sex in your marriage from the pulpit. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of Christians asking that question.
1: There are, there absolutely are. And they should be, (sighs) they should be. I'm gonna say this again. Okay. Sex is God's domain. God created sex. That's deep. Let's have a conversation because the enemy feels like he's taking that area over with the sex clubs and the massage. He's, he's taking this area over, but no, 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 no. My God created sex and it's good in its proper context. Let's talk about it in its proper context. There's nothing wrong with sex. We, we can't live as, as if it's something, this dirty little subject. We can't live like that. Not, not, not in the 21st century. We cannot live like that. And we cannot let our children be ignorant. And we can't be ignorant of it.
0: Now, I want to ask this question here. Where do people get it wrong when they are trying to navigate this kind of trauma and recovery in their family unit? Boom. Cat's out of the bag. It happened. Now, what do we do next? Where, where are people, because you talk to people all the time, on every side of the fence, right? Mm-hmm. Where are they getting it wrong? And where are they getting it right?
1: The silence. The mm. silence is deafening. Even though it's been, let's say the cat is out the bag, as you said. And then nothing else. No more talk no more conversation it happened we're going to put it in the past and we're just going to go on we're just going to go on we're just going to go on you don't just go on with that type of trauma and when you do you have some very broken people in this world do people do it unfortunately yes they do and again they never reach wholeness they never reach wholeness. they become bipolar they become narcissistic they become um hermits i mean you can go anywhere on the continuum anywhere in the spectrum but if you just make the decision that okay we know about it now let's go on that's not that that's not even christ there's nothing about that that's christ like that's not what god is saying the god that we serve is compassionate and he's a god of reconciliation but well, we have to reconcile our parts back together. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the ministry of reconciliation.
0: Okay. That, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> so, Where'd you get that?
1: <laughs> we right?
0: Have to. You're
2: right. We have to.
0: Now, okay. Let, let me, let me just uh, put it this way. Do you ever run into this thing where it's almost like, a nostalgic perspective on the family structure hinders people from accepting that change is mandatory. Like, well, this is how the family get togethers have been. This is the history. This is the environment. This is the dynamic. And now Billy needs to go to prison. Jeff needs to go to prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We can't have these people around. I don't want to topple the apple cart and disturb the order. So I'm going to encourage silence. You're under that? All the,
1: time. All the time. All the time.
0: Why is All it that nostalgia can stand in the way of justice? so easily?
1: Um, I think because we accept it and we're afraid of change. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how people are going to respond. The fear of man is huge. I think that stops many people from speaking up. They're not. A, they're afraid of what, how they're going to be accepted. They're afraid of how other people will, will respond to them. They're afraid that they'll have this uh, tag on them, that they were the ones that spoke up, they're the ones that, and true enough, some people will attack them. There's no question about it. Let's not, let's be serious about it. That You may get an attack, but I'm saying, I'm saying that it's worth it. It's worth it to go on because change needs to happen. Some of the things that have been taking are place are generational. They're, they're generational curses. that continue on and on and on. And we don't like to change. But until we do something different, we will not get something different.
0: What does your attack look like? So you guys said, I'm going to believe you, right? Oh, yeah. It happened. Now you're pursuing justice with your daughter. Now you got to go to court, be deposed, on and on. And then he has his family what did your attack look like? How'd you navigate that?
1: Lots of prayer. Lots, lots and lots of prayer. And we also had a lot of family support. But when I when I tell you that the attack was real, the attack was very real. A lot of fasting. Mm-hmm. Because it it was not just what was going on in the natural dan, it was a spiritual attack. There was spiritual warfare. There was no question about it. So I continually covered my daughter. I continually covered my family. Um, and I continued to know that God is a God of justice. I, I, I went, I grabbed scriptures out of the Bible, and I fought with those scriptures, with everything that was in me. Made a conscious decision that justice had to, justice had to uh, prevail in this situation, not just for God to get the glory, but that those around would know that it's OK. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to pursue pursue justice, even when you're dealing with a Goliath. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even when you're dealing with a Goliath, because you have truth on your side and you engage. I, I didn't know as much about engaging the angels as I do now at that time. I didn't know as much Uh, on the spiritual realm as I do now, but I knew that I served a God who was a God of justice. There's no question about, I knew that. And I knew that this had become such a public spectacle. My daughter went through a lot. It it had become a public spectacle. And we live in a small community where everybody knows. And I told my daughter, you hold your head up high because you have nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing, and since then we uh, started a nonprofit, and that's our our, our tagline: No more shame, mm. no more secrecy, and no more silence. Wow! We have to talk about these things, even if it hurts, even if it upsets the apple cart, even if it's different, if it changes things in our family, we still have to talk about it. It does not matter. The the Christ that we serve talked about things. He, he never said that, it's that sleep it up under the rug. He never said, okay, we know about it, shh. He spoke those things. We have to speak out that this has happened and our family, we're not gonna have it anymore. Somebody's gotta stand up for the family.
0: Wow. Now, was there ever a point where, I mean, it got a little hectic to the point that your daughter wanted to throw in the towel and say, you know, I don't want to pursue this. Anymore, I'd rather just sweep it under the rug. And how did you navigate that?
1: From the very beginning, hmm. she had she didn't want to, she didn't want to have any part of this from the oh. very beginning. But I had some um, advocates. I call them my angels, my brothers. Yes. We had some conversations, including we went to the uh, we went to the police station and we just had a conversation. Well, what if this had happened? What would what would be the, the process?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the only thing I, my daughter did at that time was just sit and listen. But there was a day that things turned around where she wanted to actively pursue. And can I tell you about that?
0: Absolutely.
1: Now, remember, I found out about this the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Okay. Christmas that year, the whole family had come together. Mm-hmm my niece was about eight years old we were sitting at the kitchen table and i said nikki you see deja i said that's what age you were when he started messing with you not the 15 year old that you're looking at now that's when he started messing with you and then i can tell you i saw the light bulb go off on her and she realized how innocent she was when this man started defiling her and since that time, she never turned around. Since that time, she pursued. She was ready to go tall, and she and she was, and she did a wonderful job. She did a wonderful job. Did she have some bumps along the road? Were there times where it became very difficult for her? Absolutely, make no question about it. Absolutely, there were. Um, but it was necessary. There's some things that we do, as as you know, are difficult, but they're necessary. Yes. So that's what we did. And I'm so glad we did. I have to tell you, though, in terms of generational curses, his mm. son is in prison right now for the same thing.
0: My gosh.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you believe that he was his son's abuser?
1: Don't know. I really don't know. I don't know.
0: Okay. I want to ask you this question and this really comes out of the realm of you know the counseling that you do for others Mm -hmm. what are some of the differences between how mothers and fathers process the sexual abuse or exploitation of their children and how do you help navigate it when say it is the mother and the father and it's an outsider that has abused their child and now they're both blaming themselves and blaming each other and this is the dynamic. Um, Can you explore that a little bit?
1: Okay, so let's start out with the difference in the the husband and the wife, how they process. Mm -hmm. My experience has been many times that the husband has wanted to be the silent partner and i'm going to tell you why i think okay i think it's that same thing that god complex and i'm calling it the god complex because but i'm supposed to be her protector i should have been there i should have i should have and it becomes that condemnation that they can no longer breathe the same thing that i went through
0: wow
1: so it just because because the enemy has come in set up shop in their head and has condemned them what kind of father are you? You let this happen. That type of thing. I find that many of the fathers implode and then they explode. And 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 I, I'm going to call it a god complex. But until we as parents come to the realization that we're not omnipotent, we're not omnipresent, we're not omniscient and God never called us to be. That that was, that's that god called us to be a caretaker and overseer of our children, but he didn't, he never said that we were going to be in all places at all times doing all things. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding that many of the men want to, of course they want, they want to kill, (laughs) but I I see an implosion and an explosion and the the guilt and condemnation. The mothers, most of them don't process but they continue to cry. I think they even hold it in in their hearts and their bellies. There's, a, there's just that continual weeping, that continual grieving over their child. That is, that's natural. And that's why, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's so important for the parents to receive some help. It's so important for them to work on their wholeness because as they become whole, they become whole for their child. If I'm not in a whole place, if I'm not in a good place, it's going to be very difficult for me to give my daughter or my son what his needs are. And I'm telling you, that happens many times where a parent is so broken until they push the child, quote unquote, the victim away because they can't even process. I'm seeing that over and over and over again. And can I say that I see that in the church? Come on. Just I
0: call it out. Might as well do it now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unbelievable, Dan. Unbelievable. I, uh, the first time when I um, had published my book, I went to a, a church booksellers conference. Mm-hmm. And I still remember laying in the bed. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, because so many of the people had come to me and shared their stories. Yes. I didn't know how prevalent it was. And I just, I remember laying in my bed that night and I was like, Lord, this was a Christian conference. This was so many people shared their story with me. I did not know the prevalence because we have kept it hush. We've not talked about it in the church. But I had people that talk about talked about sending their children to um schools. That mm-hmm. everybody, that the kid the boys and the girls in their family were molested.
0: Goodness.
1: Or the leader molested the child and they were told, well, you don't, you don't want to talk about this. You don't want this to go out into the community. You don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. Because if you don't, it's going to continue to happen. This is the type of thing that perpetrates itself until you shed light on it. And that's why we ask God to expose everything. Right. So that is one thing that I've noticed. Um, I can't tell you that it's universal, but for those that I've been with, that, I see that over and over again, it's very
0: prevalent. Um, and what was the second question you asked? Well, I, w- I was just asking about like the dynamic, right? When you have, say, a slightly different situation, okay. where the mother and the father are now blaming each other, blaming themselves. Their child has been abused and molested. Now that's been exposed. Um, but it's an outside party that's responsible maybe an uncle or a cousin or a coach or a minister and they're trying to navigate that dynamic in the family unit that's what I, I, mean.
1: I don't think that there's very many people that know how to deal with that you want me to be frank with you and i'm saying that because they have a script running in their head saying that this should have never happened it should have never happened it should have never happened and then they have another script running saying you're the blame you're the blame you're the blame and they may not even know that those two are, you know, they're dynamically opposing themselves, and again, the marriage w- begins to implode.
0: Sure. Yes.
2: Yes. Because
1: again, we're not really talking about it, but we're we're um, holding grudges in our heart. Mm. Well, you shouldn't have, you should have did this, or you shouldn't have done that. And there's not a lot of people that really come together to have a discussion with a minister or somebody who truly understands what's going on behind the scenes. Because it's what's happening behind the scenes that makes all the difference in the world. Yes. What's going on behind the scenes? What are the scripts that are running in our head? What are what are the things that the enemy is saying? And many times we won't even bring it to the forefront because we want to admit it because of what you just dealt with, the shame.
0: Come
2: on.
1: There is so much shame covering. And what what is the enemy doing during this whole time? He's laughing. And he's having a ball because why? He's destroying the family, the fabric of the family. He's destroying it from the inside out. And, he's, and then he's hiding his hands.
0: This has been a very, very um, productive that's conversation, Lisa. That's
1: what I see. That's really what I see. I just think it's so important, Dan, of the work that you do. Mm. There, it has to be, we have to have a safe place to have these kind of conversations. And I don't know if you're planning on doing any replication of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, but really, that's what you're doing with the school. Until we really start dealing with some of the core issues that are destroying the families, and we start dealing with some of the core issues that we're, we're self-destructive, until we start dealing with some of those core issues. And they're not all natural issues.
0: No. That's right.
1: They're not. They are not.
0: That's right. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, um, the, 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 the agenda, of the objective is so complex. It, 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 I mean, I hate to say it, but the enemy is a bit of a mastermind. And, you know, um, even if you have two people that are married and are doing their best, right, uh, but they're told the lie, right? Get it? Christ paid it all. So when you get saved, it's all under the blood. Your kids are under the blood. Everything in your house is under the blood. And so everything's good. You're baptized. You're good. This nonsense, it makes people go into a place of false expectation. Like, if God is who he says he is, it, right? then this would not happen because it's all under the blood. Well, no, the whole foundation is, is false. So we have a false expectation. We have an expectation based on a false false belief that it just works like it It doesn't work like that jesus has a has finished the work in heaven and, and there is a process of legally bringing the full manifestation of what he's done into our lives individually and then over that which is appointed under our jurisdiction and that's the journey that's the sanctification process that's what we talk about when we talk about inner healing and deliverance for the believer and on and on. So you could have two people that come together, get saved, and their daughter has a label says, abuse me, that sits in the spirit over their head. Yes. And you know what? That daughter is going to get targeted by someone somewhere, even if it's not the parents or the son. It goes both ways. And then when that happens, people are blaming God. Like, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And God's like, no, you just don't understand how it works, my friend.
1: And they get beat up thinking, okay, I didn't have enough faith, or I didn't do this right, or I didn't spin around three times, I didn't do... And that's not the truth. That is not the truth of the matter. And they blame God because they don't have the whole truth. They they they, they really don't understand. And that was one of the journeys that I had to go through personally hmm. because that was what I was brought up under. But God kept bringing... God kept giving me new revelation, new revelation. And one of the things he said to me personally was clean up your bloodline. Wow. Wow. I had to clean up my bloodline. I was like, what are you talking about that? <laughs> and he started showing me the things that were going on all around me, the things that the enemy had a legal right to that I had no clue. And there's many of us Christians that really don't have a clue until the legal rights that the enemy has into our family and the things that our ancestors did that we, we until we clean up some stuff. That's a whole
0: nother topic. It's a whole nother topic. You know what, folks? I'm talking with Lisa Gray, and she has a book. It's called They Don't Tell. I want to uh, recommend that if this has hit home for you, pick up a copy. Also, she has a website at wouldmychildtell.com. Let me, let
1: me give you. Every step counts ministries. Every
0: step counts
1: Ministries. Ministries.com.com.
0: Okay. Every step counts. Ministry.com. Go there. And that's where you can hang out with Lisa. I, I, I just want to say, Lisa, this has been a lot of fun. And very, very um helpful, I think. And so I want to thank you for your ministry. I want to thank you for your wisdom. And I want to thank you for taking your journey.
1: Thank you so much for having
0: me on today. I so appreciate it. There it is, folks. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like our video, and share this with friends. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at BrideMinistriesInternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.